and welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Greg. I am one of the co-lead pastors here. I want to thank you for taking time to come and participate with us as we engage with God this morning. Uh, it is very exciting to see all of you. Um, I would like to ask that you uh, join me as I pray. Dear God, we give you great thanks for this day and for your presence in our lives. God, I do ask that... Um, Lord, as I believe there is a unique way you speak to us when we are gathered together, uh, I pray that you would speak to us today as your gathered people. Lord, undoubtedly there will be stuff for us to, to take away as individuals, but there is something different about when we're gathered together. Uh, so, so I pray, Holy Spirit, you would open our hearts and minds to hear what you have to speak to this group uh, this morning, and that we would be attentive uh, to you. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So, um, as I said, my name is Greg. I'm super excited to see you. I'm also trying to retake control of the, this up here, so I'm, I'm blabbing right now because um, the iPad is arguing with me. Anyways, there, I win. Um, so, uh, this morning we are concluding our summer sermon series in the book of John, and it has been a fantastic summer, I think, with lots of Jesus in it. Whether we go all the way back to the beginning, and we had this revelation that Jesus is in all beginnings, that he is the, the sort of beginning and spark of all good things, or whether we've been walking with Jesus through some really interesting moments where people are asking or commanding or requesting him to do all kinds of things and in the ways they want him to. And we see how Jesus responds to that and often says, if not always, says, no, I'm not going to do it the way you want me to. I might do what you ask me to do, but it's certainly not always going to look like you want it to. We learn that as he's empowered by the Holy Spirit, Jesus doesn't work on any clock or schedule but the Father's. Not on the ideas and rules of his friends or his family, but specifically of the divine, specifically of God. Whether he's raising someone from the dead or speaking to his friends about truth and inviting us to do the same, we discover that we, just like him, need the Holy Spirit to do any of those things, to be in that intimate relationship with the Father, and that that was that connectedness that Jesus had with God was the very thing that allowed him to abide in God's love, even in the most desperate of times, as he is going to be betrayed by one of his close friends, and on the precipice of incredible suffering and death, we find that because of that connectedness, that relationship he has with God, he's able to, in that time, even serve the ones who are going to betray him. And so out of that is where we kind of come to where we're at this morning. There are a couple of things uh, that happen in Jesus' life that I want uh, to touch on because they are very important um, before we get to the passage we're going to look at today. Uh, Jesus, uh, by the time we get to where we're at today, he has been betrayed by his friend, and out of that he's been arrested, tortured, and crucified on a cross. So he died on a cross for our sins. Then three days later, he rose again from the dead, just as he had predicted And then after that, he has appeared to his disciples a couple of times. And the moment of history that we're going to step into today is one of those moments. It's the third time we're told by John when Jesus appears to his disciples. This is in John chapter 21. If you have a Bible, you can follow along there. It'll also be up on the screen behind me. Uh, But before we get to the passage, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been in a situation where you had invested in something and invested a lot in it, and it didn't go the way you wanted or expected it to. Maybe you put an offer on a house, and that offer seemed like it was solid, like it was going to happen. People are talking closing dates, signing papers, all this stuff, and then something happens that changes that. 
not necessarily goes wrong, but something is different. Maybe at times it felt like it was going wrong, but it certainly was different. And now you're in kind of this holding pattern where, ah, I don't get to move when I thought I was. But my other house sold and sound. Now I'm in this in-between spot. Maybe I'm sleeping at a, at a friend's house or I'm crashing at my family's house or something else. I'm renting a place or doing something different. But you're in this holding pattern. Maybe you've experienced that with relationships, friendships. Maybe you moved somewhere to get a job and that job, you were supposed to start on this day, but now it's pushed out a little bit and pushed out a little bit. Who knows what it is? But maybe there's something that you've kind of put everything into and it's just not going the way it was supposed to. So let's read John 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. And so they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. And so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appears to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that would be written. 
So the disciples are in this weird space. They put their careers aside, left their hometowns, and became students of this rabbi, this teacher who everywhere he went seemed to stir up commotion, yet at the same time had the words of life. Jesus had talked about needing to die and talked about being raised again, but the disciples, didn't really, that didn't really register with them. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience where someone asks you a question that seems so not based in reality that it's hard to grasp what they're even saying. Uh, some of my friends know that this happens with me a lot, that I might say, hey, what would you do? And they all know that something's coming that's probably not going to make any sense. And so I'll say, hey, what would you do if I like planted my feet crouched down a little bit and pushed off and took up into the air, punched a hole in the ceiling, a big one, and you saw me fly up into the air and head off to the north. <laughs> Especially my dear wife, when I ask a question like this, she's like, Greg, I, I don't know what I would do, really. Right? What, are you, what are you asking me? I was like, I just want to know what you would do. And she's like, well, I don't know. I don't know what that would look like. I don't know how that... Uh. Okay, that's obviously a silly example, but Jesus had talked about some things that the disciples didn't get, and this is that moment where I did fly up into the sky and punched a hole through and now flew off, and the disciples are trying to go, what do we do with this? And Jesus has shown up to them a couple of times, but everything is very confusing for them. It's not just a rumor or an idea, play on words that Jesus raised again from the dead. He's shown up to them. And for us, too, we don't have a lot of answers from these encounters that Jesus has with his disciples. For me, I have a lot of unanswered questions. The conversations are pretty short. I want to know a lot more than what we're given. Jesus hasn't come up with some big plan. He hasn't sort of laid out, this is our strategy, now that I'm back. So lots of people are confused about what is happening with Jesus now. And what is happening with the disciples? And lots of scholars and commentators have all kinds of ideas about what is happening in this passage. Some of them are appalled that we find the disciples are going back to fishing. They see this as some sort of statement of apostasy, some sort of statement of we are completely leaving Jesus altogether and we're going back to our old life, symbolized in the action of going back to their job of fishing, what they were doing before Jesus called them. Some scholars say they probably just need some money. Maybe they're going to go fishing and try to catch some fish so they can sell them. Maybe they don't have any money right now. They gave up their careers. What are they doing? And some people say, you know, when you're grieving and confused and you're trying to figure stuff out, sometimes you just need something to do, right? Lots of times, I have friends who have gone through terrible things, and in the process, there's this space where you really want to, like, get away. You want to kind of become a hermit and sit in your thoughts. But a lot of them will say something like, I took up bowling, or I did this, or I did that, and that was the thing that kept me in contact with other people, kept me doing something. And so maybe the disciples are doing that. It could be that all of those are happening to some extent. The disciples could be reeling about their their own understanding of who Jesus is, who God is, and what that means to, to follow him and be part of his people. What does that say about them now as human beings? I follow Jesus, and now all this is happening. Maybe I am thinking about getting out. Maybe I am thinking, this is too much. I don't know. Maybe they do need money, and maybe they do need just to be doing something. But it's common for us, when we're trying to figure these things out, to try to simplify a complex situation down to a real, easy, clear-cut answer. Are the disciples following Jesus or not? Have they abandoned him, or are they still with him? And we want to be able to give a yes or no answer. But I don't think it's that easy. Have you ever been at that point in your life where, man, yesterday I, I had enough faith, I totally believed, and today I don't feel that. 
And tomorrow you might be like, and I, now I've got so much faith, I, I feel kind of un, unnerved by that. Sometimes you don't know what you believe. And the things that you thought you believed at the very least are under lots of tension. You feel like you're struggling to hang on to those things that you've believed all your life or maybe that you've invested everything in. And if someone were to come up to you and say, are you in or out? You might not know. And if you said, I don't know, they might say, because you said that, you're out. You can't say, I don't know. You have to say, no, I'm in. I blah, blah, blah. Or they would say, well, you might still be in, but you got to get it together. So we meet the disciples in this place. They have, for a possible myriad of reasons, returned to something they know how to do, fish. Peter starts it off. The feel of this is like this. Seven of them are together. Some of them are the first disciples we met at the beginning of this summer where Jesus called them at the very moment they were doing this very same thing, fishing. The feeling now is that they're restless. Peter says, I'm going fishing. They're all together trying to figure out what's next. And Peter says, i got to do something. I'm going fishing. And the others decide to join him. And so they fish all night. They do the thing. This is the thing we know how to do. And they do it all night. And they get nothing. So it continues. A friend of mine, uh, back when uh, I was living in Pullman, if she was having a bad day, you know, one of those days that just kind of keeps on giving the bad, uh, later in the day, when the next bad thing happens, she would say, you're about four hours late because I gave up caring about four hours ago. I gave up having the capacity to even think that today was going to get better a while ago. That's where they're at. And this guy shows up and says, fellas, haven't you even caught a little bit of fish? Haven't you even caught enough for one Family. Now, we translate this, friends, haven't you any fish? But the word we translate as friends is more like lads, guys, buddies. And it has this sense to it like, well, I'm looking at you, and I can tell you have the capacity to fish. I can tell you, you look like a person who you could do this activity, but for some reason it's not working for you. Maybe you're not that good at it. Maybe luck isn't with you today. It has this kind of tone to it. And the word that we translate fish, which makes sense because they are fishing, but it's usually a word that's used to describe a tiny amount of fish, right? That these guys are out with a big net expecting to catch a lot, and he's asking, did you not even get one in your big net, right? That doesn't seem to work. And so Jesus is coming at them with this tone, and what I feel like it is to me is like when someone comes up, sees you working on a problem, and they try to assess the problem that you've already diagnosed a hundred times over. They are very aware that they don't have any fish, right? I don't know if you've had this happen where you're on the side of the road, the hood of your car is open, there's steam or smoke pouring out, and someone comes up and says, car's not working? Oh, is that what it is? I, I wasn't sure. I felt like it was really working well. Uh, but no, is having trouble with your car? Yeah, no, I am. And I think we can see how the disciples are feeling in their recorded response of no. Not, hey, good to see you this morning. Yeah, fish aren't biting. Kind of crazy how that works sometimes. Nothing, just no. Absolute no. We don't want your input on what's happening today. 
Now, they also don't recognize this person, and we may wonder how it is possible they don't, res- they don't recognize the resurrected Christ. He seems important. But maybe it's because he's about 100 yards away. Now, the point where it tells us that in the story is not telling us that to stay how far their vision can or cannot operate in, but it's saying, because Peter swam ashore, probably one of the fastest 100-meter swims uh, we've ever seen, uh, and then uh, the boat, it was saying... It, it, saying it was only 100 yards away, so the boat's not that far away. But when it comes to vision, that's a football field. There's a lot of people who I love all of you, but I probably wouldn't recognize most of you at the other end of a football field. Right? So maybe they don't recognize them because of that. could be because they're not looking for anyone. It's, it's, it's evident in their response. They're not looking for, for any help. Right? You're working on your car. Someone comes up. Car's not working. You just keep working. Nope, not working. Right? You're not taking the time to look. You don't need their kind of input. So maybe you're not expecting that or wanting that. Maybe it's early in the morning, not super bright. It could be for a lot of reasons, but I'm finding for myself right now, I'm trying to not be so quick to judge people who I perceive don't see Jesus. As I am becoming keenly aware in my own life and in the life of the church that we often miss seeing Jesus when he is just as, if not more present and visible and visible than he is for the disciples in this moment. How easily distracted we are from the presence and movement of Jesus. I hope we could be gracious in those moments. But Jesus says, throw your nets on the other side. And for some reason, they do. And they bring in a huge haul of fish, 153 to be exact. And it's in this moment that the disciple whom Jesus loves says, it is the Lord. And then in typical Peter fashion, Peter jumps off the boat and swims to shore. Now there's something here that I do want us to take note of. How often in our lives, I just mentioned how we often get distracted and don't see Jesus, but how often are we in a position where we do see Jesus and we, we really need to say, it is the Lord. Whether it's to people in our family, to our colleagues, our coworkers, people in church, there's so many times where God does something, Jesus is moving, and we could say, it is the Lord. Because we need to do that for one another. Because we're so often like the disciples. We find Jesus to be bigger than what we thought, not fitting our expectations, and we don't know what to do with him, which, spoiler alert, is probably going to be all the time. I think we kind of distance ourselves from him. We get in a space where we still believe in him, but we really believe in the Jesus that fits, that does what we want him to do. And so when the Jesus that doesn't fit shows up, we don't see him. We want the Jesus who operates by our rules. But that's not how Jesus works, that we've spent this whole summer talking about. And so we need to be watching for each other and watching for ourselves. When we see something that looks like Jesus, we need to go, is that the Lord? That's the Lord. We need to say that for one another. We need to say that for ourselves. We need to receive that from one another. Because I think we've erred on the side of not saying things because we're afraid of being wrong. But I'd rather we erred on the side of saying something and being right. Just something to think about. Jesus, though, makes it easy for his disciples on this one. If we go to Luke 5, 1 through 11, it says this. One day, Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let, the nets, and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Sound familiar? But because you say so, 
I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large amount of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and his, all, all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. So the disciples have been in a similar moment with Jesus. And so perhaps something is triggered in them that causes them to go, wait, 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 this seems really familiar. That's the Lord. I also think for some of them, this is, this is sort of a, a retelling of that moment when they were first called. It's not just a moment they were familiar with. It is the beginning, for some of them, of their walk with Jesus. Sometimes, when we get into what we're doing, the busyness of life, the routine that we often get to, and we stop thinking about Jesus, we stop responding, we stop looking for Jesus, we're dealing with something challenging, we no longer see him in the midst of all these things, but he's really right with us, just on the shore, and yet for some reason we don't recognize him. Jesus often sort of, stirs something in us. He kind of jars us out of those moments and will often take us back to the beginning. Can you think back of one of the first times you encountered Jesus? What were you doing? How did it happen? What were you feeling? What kinds of things when I ask those questions stir up in you now? I know that uh, often when just dealing with life, um, Angie and I, my wife, will be talking through things and, and we'll start kind of backtracking through our lives, right? Challenging things, amazing things. Remember when our kids were born? Remember when Angie told me she was pregnant? I remember when we moved into the house we're into, had all these college students come and live with us. I remember we moved into our basement apartment on Lake Washington. There's Barb and Eric. Yeah, right next door to you. I just found that out the other day. This is like 18 years ago. I lived next door to Jerry. Right? I didn't even know that, right? It's craziness, right? But we moved in there. Yeah, yeah. We started uh, working with, with Sky Alpha Group at UW. Started coming to this church, right, together. I remember when we moved to Bellingham so I could do my internship in campus ministry. I remember when we lived in Pullman. I remember when Angie and I got married. I remember we got engaged. I remember the first time we kissed. I remember the first time we said, I love you. I remember the first time we held hands. I remember the first time I asked her out. I remember when we sat in this van from Hungry Horse, Montana, this long van ride home from a retreat, and something sparked all that helps me to see things in a different way. Jesus takes his disciples on a trip down memory lane right to the beginning when he called them. And look at where they're at. We read in Luke how Peter says, Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Where is Peter at now? We read that he just got through this experience of denying Jesus three times. The distance he must feel from Jesus and the betrayal and all that stuff must be incredible. Yet as soon as he recognizes it's him, he jumps off the boat. I can't wait for this boat to get there. No longer stay away from me. I'm sinful. Now it's like, I got to be with you as soon as I can. What about these guys? They came from the same hometown. If you asked them three years previous to this moment, where do you think you're going to be in three years? Would they have said, I'm going to be here? Jesus takes them back to the beginning. 
When they get to the shore, Jesus says, okay, guys, huddle up. I got a packet for each one of you. We're going to go through all of our strategy. Here's, you know, I need you in charge of the treasury. I need you in charge of PR. You don't get to talk to anybody. You, you're not that person, right? No, he doesn't say any of that. He's got a fire going with some fish and from bread. That sounds familiar, too. He says, bring some of the fish you have caught. He says, come and have breakfast. And again, lots of people breeze right past this because the stuff with Peter, the, what they call the reinstatement of Peter, is so amazing and beautiful. But there's this moment here that I can't, I can't allow us to miss. I don't know if you've ever been in a kitchen when there's food being cooked. It is a happening place. Right? There, is, there are conversations happening that don't happen out in the big room. Right? Don't happen. When we used to have these, uh, these Thanksgiving feasts at our house when we were working with Kai Alpha, and we'd have anywhere from 60 to 100 people in our house and was in the kitchen, and we're making like 60 pounds of mashed potatoes. I got turkeys cooking and all this stuff. And there's people moving all through the kitchen. There's conversations happening. There was the, these amazingly intimate moments, even though there was busyness. The kitchen food, it kind of does that. And this scene is an intimate scene. I, when I read this section of the Bible, it does something in me. I feel like I'm reading the end of the voyage of the Don Treader, right? Where there's this, there's this moment where the characters are like just getting further and further away and all of a sudden they're alone on this beach and I feel like this, I feel like the rest of the world almost doesn't even exist in this passage. There is something Jesus is doing here. I find it to be almost the opposite narrative that our culture is telling. The predominant culture in America is telling a story And the story is that the more we can produce, the more efficient we are, all those things, that's what makes us valuable. Look at how we treat senior citizens. Once you're no longer productive, it's time to step aside. Look at how we treat celebrities and athletes. As long as you're entertaining me at a certain level, oh yeah, I'll adore you. As soon as you retire, as soon as you can't run as fast, as soon as you can't take that hit, as soon as you can't make that blockbuster movie again, You just kind of need to go away. The message we communicate is once your usefulness is gone or appears to be gone, you're no longer wanted or valuable. My time in Seattle, both working at UW and just living here, I've seen how people are trained to think that hard work and productivity are not just good because there are good things in them, but they are what make you valuable and give you your spot in the food chain. But in this passage, we see Jesus do the opposite. Slows down. This would be a time where I would think, Jesus, you, you got a limited amount of time. You need to get that plan out. You need to tell everybody what they need to do. You need to get things organized. And he says, no. I'm going to sit with my friends and have breakfast. It's not devoid of work. They have to haul in this huge load of fish. And he says, bring some of those fish. He asks them to participate. But it tells me that God is relational beyond him just telling us what we need to do. He's not just managing people and doling out to-do lists. He's not only interested in our output levels. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of all things. The Psalms say that creating the universe was like the work of his hands. And yet he wants to sit and have breakfast with us. Here at One Life, we believe in pauses. We believe in the space in between. We believe in breakfast together. That's why we have time set aside after service with food. Right, So people can sit and enjoy each other's company, not just move on to the next thing. 
That's why we have core groups, a large variety of core groups. Because some people in their lives, they need a traditional Bible study. We're going to dig into Scripture and go through all that. And some people need, I'm going to get together and meet some people in it. And we're going to encourage each other over a shared activity. But they are these places to slow down. To not be racing. I remember a core group that Angie and I were in. And it was just a get together and have dinner talk about life core group. Um, and we showed up early one night and, and we had had a really, really long week. Um, and we got there and, and, the, and the, the couple hosting and leading said, how are you guys doing? And we're like, oh, we're exhausted. They're like, well, go sit in our other room. And if you guys feel like you can come and join us, come and join us. But just go sit, talk to each other. We're like, yeah, we haven't talked to each other all week. And we sat in there and talked for a while, but Sometimes you feel like in a core group, i got to be there and, I, and I've got to be present, and you do. But, but also, there needs to be space for us to sit, take time aside. They were present enough to see that in us. we got to take a break for a minute. And now, in the midst of all this, Jesus takes this moment. And from there, he has this moment with Peter. Peter, so eager to see Jesus. Peter who said, don't just wash my feet, but wash my head and my hands too. Peter, I can't let you die and be killed. Peter, I'm never going to deny you. But I did, Peter. And in this place, Jesus meets Peter, not in court or on reality TV, but at a breakfast gathering. The feel is they're sitting there and Jesus leans over and starts to have this beautiful conversation with Peter. Because there's something between them that needs to be figured out. Peter's excited to see God, but there's some stuff he has to deal with. And I want you to know this morning that whatever you've done, wherever you've been, whatever has happened to you, God is more interested in you than what he can simply do with you. It is true that he is interested in what he wants you to do. I believe that, but only as part of knowing you and you knowing him. He's interested in you in a way that no one else is and that no one else can be. That you are not disqualified from being faithfully present because Jesus wants to have breakfast with you. Who are you today? Are you in the boat and not seeing what Jesus is doing? Or maybe you are in the boat and you're just realizing that Jesus is present and you're trying to figure out, oh, man, I kind of want to jump in. I don't want to. Maybe you are jumping in. Or maybe you're sitting with him knowing, yeah, all that stuff that happened, ah, that's fine, that's the past. I'm here now with you. But the invitation to everyone is to come and have breakfast. The other thing I want to point out as we wrap this up is that uh, in other places, in all four of the Gospels, this miracle of feeding the 5,000 occurs. But in several of them, uh, and in specific right now, Mark 6, 30 through uh, 34, it says this. Uh, so Jesus had just sent the disciples out to go and, and minister, and they Casting out demons and healing people, all kinds of stuff. And they come back, says the apostles, gather around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Because they're super excited about it. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Sounds awesome. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many, meaning 5,000 plus, who saw them leaving, recognized them, and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. 
When, G- when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. So Jesus tells them, let's go to this place where we can be alone and have some time. You can rest. I want to hear all your stories. But then that gets interrupted by 5,000 plus people. And Jesus puts them to work when they show up. I find it interesting That here is this moment we're in where Jesus is providing a meal of bread and fish, yet this time he is alone with his disciples. This time he is alone with his friends. I want to ask you, has Jesus promised you something that you felt like it got interrupted? Don't lose heart. Don't lose trust. Don't give up because he is faithful. And it may not look like you thought or be in the time you thought, but he is faithful and he is present and calls each one of us to be with him no matter where we're at I have a couple of questions I'd like you to to answer the worship team I'd like to invite you to please come back up Uh, and if you uh, want to it'd be fantastic for you to write if you have time to write the answers to these questions on that connection card that you got and then at the end, you can put those in the wood box. It's a great way for us to pray with you, to know some of the things you're thinking and, and, and that God's speaking to you. Uh, here are the questions, though. Um, number one, do you typically see Jesus as more interested in what he can use you for, or do you typically see him as someone who is more interested in knowing you? And as often is the case, uh, I want to be clear here that I know you may know what the right answer is uh, or what you think the right answer is, but I would really encourage you to write what you actually think and believe. Uh, Second, what would it look like for you to live in a reality where Jesus would invite you to come and have breakfast with him? I often find it difficult to believe that Jesus, even though he can do all things and be in all places, all this kind of stuff, I find it difficult to believe even now. How could you sit and just have breakfast? There's so many other important things going on and those are all happening, but do we believe that this is true? And What would it look like for you to believe that? Third, if Jesus invited you to breakfast, what do you think he might say to you over your meal? The great thing about this one is wide open. What do you think he would say to you? And fourth, who is someone that you could have breakfast with? Who is someone that you could take a pause with? Who is someone, maybe someone you know that, man, they just need that. They're super busy and they need to take a pause. Or maybe it's someone you just want to bless or you just want to have some time with. Have, have some shared space with. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll continue on uh, with our service. Jesus, I am so thankful that this is who you are. God, that, yeah, that, that, that mission and all that stuff is there, and it's absolutely critical. But only in the context of you wanting to know us. God, it is out of our intimacy with you that our hearts change. It's out of encounters with you that we discover what we believe. Lord, I pray this morning each one of us would have an encounter with you. Each one of us would be able to sense that nearness that you want, that that closeness that you want and desire and that we can experience This isn't a rumor. This isn't a tricky play on words. This is is a reality. The creator of the universe wants to sit with us and have a moment with us. 
I pray each one of us would know that. We'd experience that so we could be transformed by something we've encountered. We could respond to that. Lord, how many of us, I pray we would respond to you. I think we've become kind of shy in that. I pray we'd stop. I pray we'd continue and experience you so we could respond to you. And I pray in that moment we'd be changed. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.